1: This streamlined process will save you the time, money, and energy needed to concentrate on marketing and other creative content strategies before your item is in stock and ready for sale. Visit simoglobal.com to learn more because a picture should be worth 1,000 keywords.
0: You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast. You are listening to the awesomers.com podcast episode number 50. That's episode number 50, everybody. That's kind of like a little milestone. And as always all you have to do is go to slash 50 to find all the show notes and details, relevant uh summaries and transcripts etc. Now today my special guest is Sims Jenkins and Sims is the CEO of Brightwave which is North America's leading email marketing agency. The award-winning firm specializes in elevating email marketing programs that drive revenue, cut costs and build relationships. Sims has helped lead the Brightwave marketing team to establishing a world-class client list including Aflac, Chick-fil-A, Cox Business, Google, Philips 66, Porsche, and so many more. The agency has been ranked among the fastest-growing private companies by Inc Magazine for the past 3 years consecutively. That's hard to do, by the way. Sims was also awarded the prestigious Amy Marketer of the Year Award from the American Marketing Association for being the top agency marketer and the email marketer of the year at the Tech Marketing Awards held by the Technology Association of Georgia. Jenkins is regarded as one of the leading experts in the email marketing industry and is regularly cited by the media as such and called upon by the financial community to provide marketing insight and consultation. Uh, Sims is also the author of two definitive and highly regarded books about email marketing, which we talked about in this episode, including his most recent work called The New Inbox. His first one was called The Truth About Email Marketing, and is, I found it very instructive back in the day when it first came out. Uh, Sims is currently the email marketing best practices columnist for ClickZ, which is one of the largest resources of interactive marketing news and commentary in the world online or off by the way his industry articles have been called one of the top information sources for email marketers sims is such a busy guy he's created other things like emailstatcenter.com socialstatcenter.com and those became and have become the leading authorities on email and social media metrics prior to finding brightwave uh, Sims was the head of the CRM group at Cox Interactive Media, and today Sims serves on several civic and professional boards including the Atlanta Families, the Zoo of Atlanta Marketing Board, Fernbank Museum's Corporate Leadership Council, and some other things as well. Sims really does try to give back. At and he resides in the Atlanta Buckhead area with his wife and three children. Sims is a powerhouse marketeer, a really, really amazing uh, guy leading an amazing agency, and I'm thrilled that he was able to join us today. Welcome back, Awesomers. It's Steve Simonson coming to you again with another episode of the Awesomers.com podcast, and today we have a very special guest, Sims Jenkins. Sims, how are you? I'm doing well, Steve. Thanks for having me on your show. Certainly a pleasure, and uh, it's always fun to talk to somebody that where I go back uh, a ways, and uh, the audience has had the, the uh, benefit of hearing your bio read in uh, at the top of the show, but maybe you could tell us where you live uh, now and kind of what takes up your day-to-day activities uh, in your business.
2: Sure. Uh, Steve, I'm based out of Atlanta, Georgia, where I've lived for 20-plus years, and um, I run BrightWave, which is the leading email and eCRM agency, and as founder and CEO, my day is a little bit uh, all over the place, like a lot of CEOs of growing companies, Um, but I spend a lot of time focused on the growth of the business, um, financial side of the business, and then our our team and clients, um, and making sure that we're all aligned in terms of uh, the vision and and where we're headed as a business and where our clients are needing us to really make impacts uh, on their business. So, what that looks like over the course of a ten-hour day is a little bit different every day, and that's what keeps it fun and interesting.
0: Boy, that's for sure. It's definitely uh, can be a wild world or wild world uh, in the land of entrepreneurialism, and I'm sure your agency is no exception. Uh, Sims remind me, how long has that that thing been going? Because I know that I've used it uh, in the past uh, for a, a past business I was involved in, and that was <coughs> long ago. H- how long have you guys been running?
2: Yeah, we just celebrated our 15th anniversary, which is kind of really blows my mind to think about all of the blood, sweat, and tears that have uh, happened on that crazy roller coaster ride of 15 years. But we, we've reinvented the business every couple of years, which is um, fascinating to see. And, uh, but yeah, 15 years, a long time and a long time in the, in where we've been focused on email, a lot of changes, um, but we're um, still largely focused on, on, on the same area, which has been, I think, a big part of our success.
0: Well, no doubt about that, and you know you guys are obviously very accomplished, and the agency is widely recognized as an expert. As I recall, even you know some number of years ago, you even wrote a book about email marketing. Am I right or wrong about that?
2: Yep, two books actually. Um, yeah. yeah, my my first one was about eight or nine years ago, called "The Truth About Email Marketing," um, which the Financial Times published, and then um, five years ago, um, I wrote "The New Inbox," which um, ClickSee and their parent company. Um, published, which was really more of, you know, the world was really quickly changing social media, mobile, or, were looming. And there was a big conversation of, are they going to kill email? And I've heard, you know, is email going to die or be killed, you know, countless times over 15 years. But, you know, I think I saw that those channels were going to be so important to email and make them more effective and vice versa. So I, uh, I was, I was, had the desire to really tell my vision of how email fits in in this radically changing world. So it was a pretty different book than my first book, which was more on fundamentals and best practices of, of email, um, which still are fairly accurate. Um, but yeah, two books, I don't have a third one in me at least right now. Um, so I think I've I've covered email, um, pretty well for the time being. I love
0: it. Well, and you know,
2: I, it sounds like I'm not the first guy to tell you, but you know,
0: as, as I read some of these, uh, you know, websites and and the uh, the talking heads out there in the internet space—they tell us very clearly that you know nobody's uses the email anymore. Uh, that everybody's in the messenger bots or you know social media or this or that. Um, is this news to you? I hope I'm not get, breaking some bad news to you right now.
2: Well, I mean, like I said, I've been hearing those those kind of themes and doomsday news for. 15 years and they're all wrong. Um, is the world changing in how we communicate? For sure. Um, but email, if anything, is much more ingrained in how people communicate with their preferred brands. Are, you know, are college days kids communicating with each other and their parents differently than they did 10 or 20 years ago? Absolutely. But then they get jobs, then they get email addresses, and then they become adults and get emails from their financial service institutions and their favorite brands. And yes, they might also do that through Snapchat or Instagram or other social channels. Um, but email serves a very strong purpose. It's the number one thing that people are doing in terms of if you look at you know every hour of media that they're consuming, it's how they interact with their favorite brands. And mobile has just made it much more pervasive. We're checking email all throughout the day. Maybe, you know, maybe it's not um, uh, it's seen in the same light as was it as it was a few years ago. That's because there's a lot more channels and it's a lot harder to get your email read. But email is still the number one um, marketing vehicle. If you had one bullet in your gun and need something read, whether it's a new app, a new sale, whatever it may be, email the best, most effective, and um, Prospective way to get that message in front of the right audience and accomplish your goal. So I think there's it, it's it's a spends a good story to talk about everything else, but it is going stronger than ever.
0: Well, and this is this is really the reason I wanted to bring this up. Is this this you know deserves a little bit of myth busting, if you will, because this you know people again I, I've talked about it in other contexts like uh, affiliate marketing <clears> or SEO. But you know, everybody wants to either for hyperbole sake or for causing you know, controversy or, or even just you know, being um, you know, uh, flamers, uh, they, they want to just create a little controversy. And so they, they stir up these things. But the reality is email is going strong. And, and those who know how to do it really well, it's going even stronger. I mean, you guys are probably continuing to, to break new ways of getting things read and getting the inboxes cleared and being on the white list and, and so forth. That's that's what makes you guys specialty, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's it's more about really our, our client results and what brands are doing. And you know, the bottom line is what what's why email continues to grow and why we're a thriving company fifteen years later in absolutely a mature digital channel. It's email works, and you know, the repeatedly whether it's Wall Street Journal or mainstream media, um, you know. Companies have doubled down on email over the last few years. I think a lot of people like to think of it simplistic: of it's either social media or it's email; it's either your mobile app or email. Um, you know, any really strong brand is going to have a well complemented um, and diverse mix of marketing channels. There's, your customers are different. There's some customers that are only going to interact with you. Through the mobile app, there's some that are you know want SMS messages three times a day. There's others all they're going to check is email and they're going to read every single email. Others it might be direct mail plus you know an email that really does the job of getting them to you know take the special offer, or learn more, or whatever it may be. So it's really the right marketing mix, um, and and brands have gotten so much smarter. I mean I think that's probably the biggest thing that I've seen change in our business is just our clients are so sophisticated in terms of what they're coming to the table with and what they want to accomplish um, and their ability to use data. And, you know, they're looking for home runs where it used to be acceptable to kind of, hey, I've got a list. I want, I know I need to, you know, monetize it. I want to send some emails. Now it's, you know, how do you do some really smart things? And, you know, I don't want to leave any dollars on the table, um, and you know most brands are generating you know tens of millions of dollars in revenue, if not more, from you know their email program, and they've just gotten much smarter and savvier.
0: Well, and this is really a, a, an important point for me to share with the customers out there. If if you don't understand that you know brands of all sizes, but particularly the big brands, are still continuing to invest in email and and. Making it a part of a uh, the as, as Sims talked about you know kind of that complement of marketing tactics and and strategies that are out there, you're you're kind of missing the boat. You, you often you know as if we only have to pick one, I'm going to start with email, and then I'll probably go to affiliate or, or you know kind of move down the line of of you know highest ROI, lowest risk kind of things. Um, but if you have the opportunity to do more than one thing, then it really does work to to kind of be wherever your customers want you to be. Is that fair to say?
2: absolutely yeah different stages of the funnel different you know types of customers using the web in different ways yeah it's it's you know it's all about where can you be to make that user experience much more seamless for your customer and connecting online and, and off and there shouldn't be a disconnect you know we're finding that it's no longer acceptable for customer for brand brands to have you know world-class customer service when you walk in one of their stores And then you get one of their emails and you click and it takes you to a page that's not mobile optimized. Like that's the same as walking in a store and, you know, finding a rude customer service rep. So I think people are really doing that digital transformation is what a lot of uh, consulting firms want brands to do. And that's really, they are reinventing their entire business model and making sure that every element is, you know, really has a, strong customer experience and with digital being kind of front and center to that. So, um, yeah, we're, you know, again, dramatic shifts in the way that companies are doing marketing and really valuing their customers and looking at that interaction. Well,
0: I definitely agree that, you know, if, if people aren't reacting to the changes, which are, uh, you know, they're constant. I mean, one of the benefits you have of the 15 year perspective and by the way, 15 years <laughs> in the internet space is, uh, dinosaur age. So uh, sorry to be the uh, I'm breaking some bad news over here. But you know, that that means you guys have been around, you've seen it all. And as you you even said, at the top of the show, you've had to reinvent the business kind of over and over as as these changes have come down. Can you reflect on maybe a couple of the, the surprises that, that you guys have had to overcome along the way, one or two that uh, stand out in your mind?
2: Yeah, well, you know, I think we've had the the first phase of the business was very much I had to to sell you know, email as a tool, as a channel, as a service, as much as I did Brightwave and myself. Um, you know, I think the the early days people were still like, why should I spend money on this internet thing? I'm not sure if it's a fad or you know whether it's really worth it. Um, you know, so it was, that really kind of helped me understand the value of of thought leadership, and and at first it was very kind of to, to help accomplish two things at once, selling email and, and selling uh, Brightwave and myself as, a, as an expert. Um, but that absolutely kind of created a whole new kind of uh, awareness and ability to, to drive a lot of, uh, you know, awareness and interest and reach for a relatively small company. Um, I think being able to realize what you're really good at and, and you know, during the initial social media craze six years years ago we started doing a little bit of social media for clients that we managed their email program you know we said okay social media is complimentary we really you know we understand what you're trying to do and kind of the brand conversation and we're going to um, offer that as a service and we weren't great at it I think it was you know it was so new we saw it as a you know land grab but we weren't great at it in the way we were at email and it made us really kind of reevaluate we want to be the best in the world at email services. So we said, let's stop chasing the shiny object like everyone else. We'll have an opinion and a, and a point of view on it, but we don't want to manage social media programs. We want to be you know the email critical business partner for you know large brands and growing brands. Um, so kind of making you know uh, reconfirmation of who we were and are we okay with it? That was really an important part. And then, I think, you know, like a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, at, at some point, you're either going to grow or you're going to kind of stay the same and maybe it's a very comfortable um, existence. And, you know, the desire for, for me and, and our team and was thankfully organic and client-driven was, hey, let's go along for this growth ride that our clients want more from us, we can handle it. The market is saying um, that there's an increased demand of, of services that we were were already providing and could go deeper on. Um, So, you know, took took the risk of moving from a really comfortable, stable um, business that maybe didn't have a ton of risk. And then where you're tripling in a few year period, then, you know, there's a lot more risk. There's a lot more reward on that, but you have to really be willing to kind of go all in to rock the boat on a, you know, a comfortable entrepreneur gig, to go for that bigger growth ride, and and that's been, you know, I've had to reinvent myself during that period as well as the business, and um, that's been really interesting and certainly worth it.
0: Yeah, it's a, a really good time for people to kind of reflect for themselves, you know, what's important to them, right? If, if you decide to double down and, and get into that growth mode, there there's a cost to it, right? Uh, obviously, it sounds like, and, and I'll dive into this maybe a little further with Sims, but You know, when he says he has to reinvent himself, that means he probably had to add on some additional skills and learn how to cope with the growth and develop systems and people. Is that fair to say, Sims?
2: Absolutely, you're you're spot on, and that's that's not easy, particularly for you know control freak entrepreneurs that are used to doing it themselves because it's cheaper slash better, or the only way that you know. Um, But that's not a scalable thing, Um, and you know I think there was a hard kind of awakening for me moving from at one point I was you know an email marketer that happened to run an agency and then at one point I was running the agency and was less of an email marketer that was uncomfortable for me for a little bit Um, and then when you move to a, a, a growth oriented mode you've got to just be really comfortable delegating and hiring and empowering awesome people and let them do their thing which you know, again, take some time and a comfort level for most entrepreneurs to to let go. That's usually one of the things I'm sure you can agree is is hardest for people like us that, you know, know what success looks like and know how to get there and want to do it all themselves and do it quickly.
0: Well, without a doubt, uh, myself included, our our kind of uh, entrepreneurs in general, the the hard wiring is often to be great technicians, right? Uh, And Sims reflected on this idea that you know, hey, I was a great email marketer. I just happened to throw an agency on top to try to, you know, make a business out of it. And that's, that's often how these ideas come about, right? I'm really good at this, so let's make it into something bigger. The, the transition to go from great technician into great leader is very difficult. And for a lot of us, we struggle not just giving up the control, but just even the skills of how do you interface with people? You know, how do you the, to empower them, as you described earlier, I, I've made so many mistakes, and and you know continue to learn today on how to manage and and help people grow. It's it's a very tough business, and it's quite a different thing than learning the actual technical skill of executing whatever that happens to be in your case, email marketing. Is that you agree with that? Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's definitely a journey. So Sims, let's just back up just for a minute, if you don't mind. Um, and and actually, before we uh, dive into to, uh, your origin story, just for a little bit, I wanna uh, take a quick break and we'll be right back after this, Awesomers.
1: Hey, Amazon Marketplace professionals, this is Parsimony ERP, and we get one question over and over. Can you please tell me exactly what Parsimony does? Well, we'll try, but this is only a 30-second spot, so we're going to have to hurry. Connect to your Seller Central account and pull all the new orders. Enter the orders with all customer data. Enter all of the Amazon fees and charges. Store them at the item level. Generate profit and loss reports at the SKU level. Automatically generate income statements. Handle multiple companies. Handle multiple brands. Handle multiple currencies. Facilitate budgets and forecasts. Store all customer interactions in a sophisticated CRM system. Manage your supply chain. Project and task management. Maintain an audit log. Hey, you get it. That's Parsimony P-A-R-S-I-M-O-N-Y
0: dot com. Parsimony.com. We've got that.
1: You're listening to the Awesomers podcast.
0: Okay, we're back again, everybody. And Sims, I always like to get a sense because you're a successful entrepreneur. You know, your your agency is responsible for, for big national brands like, you know, Equifax or Mattress Firm, Affleck, Chickafil. These Chick Fil A is that how they call it? Which what, what's their proper name? Yep, you're right.
2: Yep, Chick Fil A. Chick
0: Fil A, yeah. They they don't really have that many of them out here in Washington. I think there's just one, but these are yep. big brands. Everybody knows these names, and and when I think of you know you know the growth of you guys as an agency to where you're now the the you know the preeminent supplier for these guys, it, it makes me really proud. I'm excited for you. How do you feel about it?
2: Oh, likewise, yeah, and yeah, it's been. It's been a journey to, to work with some of the world's best brands. And, um, you know, it hasn't always been a smooth one. Um, but yeah, there's a tremendous amount of pride. And, you know, candidly, there's a lot of pressure that comes along with, you know, you want the win and the world's best brands hire you. And then sometimes there's a, gosh, you know, there's a great deal of responsibility that I personally feel and that our agency needs to feel to, you know, entrust. And, and you know, we're communicating with their customers, which is the number one asset for all these customers. So it's a it's a real, really big deal. Yeah,
0: I I appreciate the fact that you guys have that sense of responsibility. And I always picked that up uh, in the old days when I uh, was involved with the company where we were a client of yours. It was very clear that not just you as the leader, but the team that you had on the on the job, they were you know taking seriously the the responsibilities and the execution of the the strategies and so on and obviously that's why you guys have been successful but let's let's go back in time a little bit and tell us where where were you born Baltimore Maryland all right so east coast uh, northeast even uh, were your parents entrepreneurial or what did they do
2: no yeah my mom was a teacher my dad was a financial advisor and worked for morgan stanley for 30 plus years so you know pretty traditional Conservative um, uh, careers. My grandfather had had the entrepreneurial streak and um, started a few companies and, and, and did some some different things. So he was some kind of the influence in our family. But it wasn't uh, something certainly that um, that was on my radar, even you know, <laughs> leading up to right when Brightwave was created. Of I'm the type of person that I want to have a business, that my own business. That is not something. That I was thinking about in college or out of college, or you know, um, I, I wish that I had that um, maybe drive or vision, but I didn't.
0: Fascinating. Um, so obviously you went to college. How did you like that experience?
2: Oh, couldn't get enough of it. You could plug me back in college right now. Um, so yeah, I went to a, a liberal arts school called Denison University in Ohio. A really small school, and a, it was a great experience. Um, you know, really smart kids from all over the country. And, um, you know, it was a school that I was very involved with, Vice President of the Student Government, did a lot of different things, you know, kind of a big fish in a small pond. Um, but I was a history major, which really just meant I was unemployed when I graduated with no idea of what I wanted to do. So
0: I was wondering what uh, history majors do, so that now, now I know. <laughs> so what was your first <laughs> job coming out of university, uh, given that it probably wasn't doing something with history?
2: yeah you know I actually got a job with the Olympic Committee in Atlanta, which is what brought me here you know in nineteen ninety six which was just kind of lucky timing that the Olympics were going on that summer and had some connections and got a job with with the olympic committee and you know it was more a way to get to somewhere that to me seemed really exciting, less about the job, but it got it got me on an initial track of sports marketing, which Certainly is one of those jobs that sounds cooler than it is, particularly if you're a 22 year old, newly graduated um, college kid with, with a lack of direction. So um, it was a per, it, you know, Atlanta post Olympics, there was just so much going on, still a lot of excitement and a lot of sports marketing related um, energy and opportunities that came out of that Olympics.
0: Yeah, that was quite a time uh, for sure. Um, how about, w- was there a particular defining moment or moment, moments that, you know, from that time, you know, the university and your first job with the Olympic Committee to now where you own your own successful big business um, that, that, you know, a defining moment
2: that puts you on the road to where you are today? Um, I think it's probably more situation and um, kind of you know, how do you act in times of crisis to be put it. You know more bluntly. I've, you know, I was a newly married guy, and it was right after the dot-com era you know, bubble had crashed, and 9/11 had happened. Um, I got laid off um, from my you know job that otherwise I loved at Cox, running the customer relationship management group. You know they were they were shutting a part of our business down, and I needed to make money. Um, I was a, you know newly married guy with a mortgage, and the job market was terrible. So. I did what most people, you know, have to do when there's not a lot of choices. I hustled and started doing some consulting and, um, you know, took some small side gigs helping people kind of with digital and with email and search and realized that email was the number one thing that worked. And it was a big focus of what I did at, at Cox, um, you know, it was the number one driver site traffic. We spent a ton of money and there was just a huge void of like, how do you do email successfully? Everyone kind of understood intuitively how it worked, but there was, you know, how do I set up the technology or how do I do it in the right way? Um, and so there was just a big moment of um, I wasn't, you know, didn't have a brilliant business plan, but I was, my back was against the wall and I had to do something and, and that's kind of what drove me. So it's not necessarily a very glamorous, um, creation story, but it's you know, certainly, I think what you know, I'm sure a lot of athletes come out of, like, you know, my best game was when we were down three games to one and we had to win, and that's sort of my view of, you know, I could either rise to the challenge or, or be defeated at an early age.
0: Well, definitely, the back against the wall is a a genesis for many many businesses for sure. Um, and I I actually really appreciate that. Has there been any big lesson that you have learned along the journey so far that you you yeah. kind of want to share with uh, maybe some of the those who are still up and coming in this world?
2: Gosh, yes, yeah. so, uh, some of a lot of them. And I know one of them is probably really good to document those lessons as well as the kind of historical wins and moments, because, you know, whether it's three years or 15, um, I, I know, and I've spoken to a lot of entrepreneurs that have kind of similar businesses, they wish they almost had like pictures of their first office, or they wish that they celebrated that early client win, you know, part of the entrepreneur mindset is, okay, what's next? Um, versus, you know, savoring important milestones, and there's certainly been plenty over the last 15 years or so. Um, you know, I think when I look back at like critical moments where the business could have, you know, really suffered or or taken a big step back and almost all of those times were filled with lots of really good impact by people other than myself. So I think the biggest lesson that I continue to learn is like, you know, really hiring awesome people. And I know that's almost cliche for an entrepreneur, but it's really hard for a lot of entrepreneurs to do is hire almost, you know, people... That are better than you is is what I found uh, to be the case a lot of ways of you know hire awesome people and really let them do their thing tell them what you know what's the vision of what you're trying to create you know as a company and and role and then let them do it and um, you know that's been I think something that sometimes you learn the hard way when you try to do it all or maybe you hire the cheapest person or the most convenient versus the best um, but uh, I'm certainly, you know, as we've grown, I'm such a big believer in you know, hiring the best talent makes you some exponentially better as an organization. And um, you know we've really been lucky to have a great team and a lot of key people that have grown in different parts of our uh, you know, phases of our growth, which is really hard. Most entrepreneur organizations, you know you might have that key first employee that doesn't make it to the second phase of the company and certainly not when you're a more mature organization and we've had, you know, Brent Rosengren who you worked with, our chief client officer, has been here almost 13 years and he, he's reinvented himself at every stage of the company and that's just almost unheard of that you have an early employee that still is essential to success, you know, you know, 80 employees later, um, which yeah, is really cool yeah. to see. That really is amazing, and
0: Brent is a brilliant guy. And but it really is an evolution. as the as the organization changes, and you go from you know two to five to ten to all the way up to 80, there are extraordinary differences, and it, it can be quite difficult. And even some of the early folks in the organization are like, "Hey, this isn't like it used to be, right? It doesn't feel yeah. the same." I and so that can be a very tumultuous time, and so I really appreciate that, that lesson learned being shared that you know, not just do you uh, hire great people, but you know, in fact, you have to prepare that evolution, uh, and, and you try to bring everybody along who is willing to kind of invest in themselves and reinvent themselves as you go, because it is not the same, unequivocally not the same as it used to be, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how about this? Uh, because, you know, you've been through a lot. Was there ever a time, whether it's in your business or, or, or otherwise, that you just kind of wanted to give up and kind of go back to the, you know, the the nine to five world and, and just kind of check out of the entrepreneurial business? Uh, anything like that ever come up to you, occur to you? No, not
2: once. Um, gosh, in fact, if you told me my you know, my business, I had to give it up and Start over tomorrow. That would be incredibly um, painful and difficult. And yeah, I um, you know I think um, it's it's such a um, ongoing roller coaster ride that you know f- just is fulfilling on so many different levels. That um, no, I, I have never thought of throwing in the towel.
0: Yeah, it's funny because uh, you know no matter how you feel, as the that roller coaster ride you described goes. It's very it's it's almost incomprehensible to me, for example, uh, no matter the darkest times I can be in for me to consider, well, yeah, I'll just go get a nine to five job. It would just it would be very difficult for me. Uh, That said, of course, you know, I I, you know, there's other times where it's like, yeah, maybe I should pivot a little bit because this is a lot of work uh, or it's not working or whatever. how about, uh, do you have any, any tools that, as a leader, as a CEO, that you use maybe on a day-to-day basis that you find either indispensable or highly valuable to your your day-to-day uh, work?
2: Um, well, outside of really smart people, um, I think, yeah, I, I'm a big LinkedIn proponent. I think it's incredible, um, you know, not only ways for someone like you and I that cross paths a while ago to stay in touch, It's a great educational tool. Um, It's really good from a business development and marketing standpoint. Um, I I think a lot of people really underutilize it or maybe view it as, you know, it's like Facebook for work and don't see the value out of it. I think that's a big kind of uh, miss. Um, You know, there's so many good resources, whether they're podcasts or, you know, Twitter is one of those rabbit holes. I try not to go down too deep because it can just, you know, you can go in a lot of different directions. And next thing you know, you spent three hours. Um, but there's, you can really read the mind of a lot of really smart people. Um, and it's, you know, certainly seeing how Elon Musk and Donald Trump use Twitter just shows you that it's not, again, just sort of the siloed, um, third tier messaging thing anymore. It's, you know, it's a, it's a way to completely see what, very prominent people are thinking um, almost in real time. So I, I use a lot of um, you know, kind of social media recon to, to read about whether it's competitors or just people that are you know, people that are really smart. and I want to know what they're thinking about. Sure, sure.
0: No, it makes perfect sense to me. I do also agree that that both the opportunity to have kind of the spotlight into the, the mind of other people, you know, whether it's the Elon Musk of the world or, you know, anybody else, just to be able to have a little spotlight you know, directly from them is a very unique thing that Twitter delivers. And LinkedIn is quite underutilized and can be a very good conduit to, to maintain relationships over the years. Um, you know, We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to ask you to get out your crystal ball and tell me the future. So get that ready. We'll be right back after this.
1: Catalyst City was developed to help entrepreneurs achieve their short and long-term goals in e-commerce markets by utilizing the power of shared entrepreneurial wisdom. Entrepreneurship is nothing if not lessons to be learned. Learn from others. Learn from us. I guarantee that we will learn from you. Visit Catalyst88.com because your success is our success. a giddy up. You're listening to the Awesomers Podcast.
0: Okay, everybody, we're back again. Uh, Steve Simpson here, Awesomers.com podcast, joined by Sims Jenkins. And Sims and I uh, have done business way back in the day, and their agency has just continued to blow up. He's is a really bright guy and a thought leader in the space of not just email, but you know, kind of the general customer journey. And, and so much about digital marketing is about that. And so I'm uh, privileged to have you on the show today. Thank you for joining us, Sims. Um, I, I do want to ask you, though, to get out your crystal ball and tell us in five years, what do you see... <coughs> Changing in this, the digital marketing space or the email space specifically, whatever you, what you care to pontificate about, give us, give us some thoughts about that future.
2: Gosh, um, you know, five years is such a long time in our world. I used to write a lot of like prediction columns and in, in different publications, and I've gotten away from that because it's so easy to be wrong. Um, I think, you know, data is going to continue to be such a big thing, and it's going to be, from a marketer standpoint, a huge. Asset. People are going to continue to use data in a bigger way, and it's going to become somewhat of a potential liability too. Or, you know, I think some of the backlash of social media companies and Google and how they use data um, is something that is going to be, you know, top of mind, and it's going to be a CEO level type conversation, not just CIO, CTO, CMO. Um, so I think that's something to, to really keep an eye on. Um, in my world, you know, I think email is going to continue to be you know one of the most important parts of the marketing mix and really the hub of the consumer experience. But there'll probably be two or three new um, platforms that people are using to m- communicate and message with brands and and each other. Um, and those probably haven't you know or haven't even been born yet. And I think that's incredibly fascinating to see. Um, you know, what will come and how will it change? I, again, I, I'm not a believer in that these things will kill um, one another. It's more how do you add it to the mix? How will people use it? And then how do you take advantage of it if you're, if you're a smart brand? I mean, There's very few brands that are leveraging probably Instagram or Snapchat in a meaningful way. But I guarantee you it's on the radar of every kind of B2C CMO out there. Doesn't mean that you go all in and you kill your your search and your email budget to dive into Instagram. Um, But there's a lot of, you know, the boards want to know how are we taking advantage of, you know, the latest shiny object for sure. Without a doubt. Those are, I think, uh,
0: very salient predictions because, you know, things are going to change. And I I actually appreciate the fact that, you know, you've predicted that, you know, something or, or potentially more than one something is going to come along that will continue to help modify this experience that the consumers are having, whether it's, you know, social media, a messenger platform, you know, the evolution of WhatsApp and even Apple, you know, the Apple messaging system, obviously Facebook messaging is already highly uh, being moved into for marketing, but Apple has opened up their messaging system for advertisers to start talking directly to, to people with iPhones. Now, Uh, what's your thoughts about that? How's that going to impact the world, if
2: any, if at all? I I don't know, but it's, you know, there's, the, the big companies, you' know, the ones you have to really watch out because they can move kind of the the, the tides faster than others. Um, but yeah, I, don't I think anything Apple does, anything Google does, you have to really pay attention to. They've also struck out on some pretty big things too, so yeah, it's not necessarily, oh my gosh, they're launching this, therefore the world's changing, but you certainly want to make sure that you're you're aware of the, the kind of the currents there. So if I read
0: between the lines, you're saying Google Plus is the next big thing. Did I get it right?
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, never say never, but yes, there, uh, I, I think that uh, Google Plus maybe wasn't one of the home runs that some people thought would happen.
0: Yeah, it's it is fascinating to see, and you know, we could go into all kinds of you know the hits and misses from all the biggest and best brands along the way, and that's probably a good lesson for awesomers out there that. You know, when something doesn't work, you just kind of keep going. You try the next thing, you pivot, you do whatever you got to do. And big brands know that and they carry on with uh, uh, life. Uh, Sims, uh, are there any final words of wisdom you care to leave with the awesomers out there listening? Uh, you know, there many of these folks are maybe not quite as far along as you have, uh, you know, 15 years of experience and 80 plus employees and dealing with world class brands. Uh, so they, they might, uh, you know, appreciate a little wisdom from somebody like yourself. What, what would you share with them?
2: Yeah, well, I guess my my focus of um, being somebody that's bootstrapped and hasn't raised money, I would say avoid you know the the gravitational pull that our media sometimes brings us to, where you know only the the real success stories are the companies that have raised hundreds of million dollars, millions of dollars, or sold their companies for billions of dollars. You know, if if you've got a a small niche idea that's going to make an impact and some ways, and there are going to be real customers out of it. Who cares if you're going to sell it, whether you're going to take out credit cards to get it going, you know, go for it and, and focus on really what what your business problem solves um, and less on some of, I think, the sexy stuff that I know I paid attention to when I was 24. And luckily, you know, the, the world changed before I got to start my company, but I thought it was, you know, the successful formula was basically you know, you raise a couple hundred million dollars and then you sell your company for billions of dollars. And it's almost like those are the only details that matter. And, and every entrepreneur knows it's, it's so hard, but the, the small kind of slow growth stories are really what makes up America and don't get too focused on, you know, the, 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 home runs out there that, you know, most businesses take years to happen. And if you can turn it into a couple millions, million of dollars of, uh, with little capital, then you've got yourself a great business and it's something worth your time. It's not just the, the ones that need to go raise you know, a, a ton of money. And I think some of those businesses get overshadowed and people gravitate towards the, the shinier things.
0: Oh boy, well, I think that's really good advice. You know, there's businesses of all kinds and all sizes that can make a huge impact in the lives of entrepreneurs and, and all the people around that entrepreneurial ecosystem, right? The people who work there, the, the people who are doing gigs for that. So there's so much opportunity, and I think that's really, really wise advice. Uh, thank you, Sims, for joining us today. I really appreciate your time and, and taking it. I know a busy CEO schedule is hard to find the time, but I uh, really appreciate you jumping on here with us today.
2: Thanks, Steve. I really enjoyed it, and thanks again for having me on.
0: Always, always a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, Brightwave.com, we'll have all the links and, and a couple of the, the cool things that I saw on Brightwave.com. We'll put those links in the show notes to everybody uh, so that everybody can kind of get out there and see some examples of some of the email campaigns they, they've done. Really exciting stuff. And Osmers, we'll be right back after this. Empower.
1: The name says it all. Connecting e-commerce entrepreneurs with great people, ideas, systems, and the services needed to stay business dynamic and to grow. Empowery is a network, a cooperative venture of tools and resources to make you better at what you do. Because we love what you do. We are you. Visit Empowery.com to learn more. You're listening to The Awesomers Podcast.
0: All right, so my apologies. A little bit of the audio uh, in and outs that happened there. And uh, our apologies, we just couldn't get a good internet connection. But uh, it was such a good opportunity to just get a little little flavor of what Sims does and what he has done in his life. A really impressive entrepreneur and somebody who's built this this craft, this practice of email marketing into a very large and substantial agency. And I personally, uh, in one of my past uh, companies, have used his services and I found his team to be very talented. Not only were they uh, talented and, and had all the skills that we needed, but they often would take the time to explain things and, and show us things that we wouldn't have otherwise understood. And I tell you, you know, email marketing is not just as simple as sending an email, right? If your server's on you know, the, the bad list, the naughty list, so to speak, your emails are not even gonna get through. Maybe your emails are being tagged automatically by Google and being thrown into the promotions tab, which is like, the, you know, like an invisible land. It's, it's almost as bad as a spam box. There's so much to email marketing, including the deliverability, including writing good copying and getting people to take action, and including just the basic idea of creating and fostering relationships. Don't forget, email marketing is alive and well. And although there's other channels you can use and and, uh, consider to be part of your marketing, don't forget the email is absolutely as important today as it's ever been. So again, this was episode number 50 of the Awesomers.com podcast series. And just go to Awesomers.com slash 50 to get any links and relevant show notes and details that are related to this particular episode. Well, we've done it again, everybody. We have another episode of the Awesomers podcast ready for the world. Thank you for joining us, and we hope that you've enjoyed our program today. Now's a good time to take a moment to subscribe, like, and share this podcast. Heck, you could even leave a, a review if you wanted. Awesomers around you will appreciate your help. It's only with your participation and sharing that we'll be able to achieve our goals. Our success is literally in your hands. Thank you again for joining us. We are at your service. Find out more about me, Steve Simonson, our guest, team, and all the other Awesomers involved at awesomers.com. Thank you again. dot